Hi, I'm lead pastor, Noel Peepgrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. You're welcome to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. find ourselves today at the end of chapter 7. We are finally to the end of the greatest sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount is what we call it, right? And so picture Jesus who's been preaching, teaching, and healing, and the crowds have followed him. And he's, he's sitting up on a hillside, uh, and he's teaching the people who have followed him. Um, the, the Sermon on the Mount is a, it's a summary of what Jesus' kingdom looks like. And we've been, uh, I mean, hopefully you've been joining me in like amazement as we've come to understand like, wow, the teachings of Jesus are really amazing. Like the kingdom of Jesus, the way that he designed life to be, it's incredible. Um, The Sermon on the Mount is also known as Jesus' interpretation of the law of Moses. So imagine this setting, Jesus is up on a hill, he's teaching these these people. Uh, The gospel of Matthew was written um, for a couple reasons, uh, but in particular, Matthew wanted people to know. He wanted his Jewish audience to know that this Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the chosen one that we've been waiting for, you know, and, and in, in uh, the Old Testament, reread of characters like Moses, for example, or David, right, who like seemed kind of like a chosen one, right? But Jesus, Matthew is trying to say, is the real chosen one. He's the Messiah that we've been waiting for. He's the one that's a prophet, he's a priest, and he's our king. In this sermon, I wanted to just like, I listed all the topics of sermons that we've had in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to go through them. So, so here's the, these are the titles of the sermons. The first one was the attitudes of being. The attitudes of being a disciple of Jesus. The Beatitudes is what, is what some people call that. Uh, the next one was salt and light. We talked about salt and light. The next one was titled Jesus as the Fulfillment of the Old Testament. Uh, the next one was resentment is the same as murder. Remember that one. That one was awesome. The next one after that was lust is the same as adultery. Then we had divorce. Uh, divorce is not God's intent. Uh, the next sermon was let your yes be yes. Right? When you take an oath, you honor it. <clears throat> the next one was <clears throat> Jesus teaching that we're to turn the other cheek. Right? The anti-retaliation message. Then he taught us to love our enemies. Another really hard one. Dang, so hard to love your enemies. Hard enough to love your family, let alone your enemies. The next sermon was, uh, was that we're to pray fast and give, but we're not to do it for show. We're to do it for God. Not even letting your right hand see what your left hand's doing. Then we have the, uh, the, uh, the passage on how to pray. We call that passage the Lord's Prayer. The next one was store up treasure in heaven, not on earth, where, where rust and moth come and destroy, but in, in eternal things. Then we had uh, don't worry, put your trust in God. Then, uh, then don't judge, but judge a little, right? The, the plank and eye passage. Then we had the ask, seek, and knock passage where, where Jesus encourages us to persist in prayer. Uh, just a few weeks ago, Andre taught on the narrow gate and the difference between the narrow gate and the wide gate. And then last week, we talked about the fruit of a true prophet. So there's been some like really good topics, some like pretty amazing things to learn about Jesus' kingdom. And today, we finally come to the end of this sermon with Jesus' final words. 
This is what he, he uh, culminated his sermon, uh, his law, with. <clears throat> so in this passage before us today, Jesus urges his, uh, his hearers to put into practice the words that he's spoken. Don't just hear them, do them. And how do we do this? We do this by building on the rock, by building on a firm foundation. You know, um, when uh, we were building our homes, uh, the, there was like a building company, right? And uh, they had a guy that worked for them, uh, that he was the foreman or whatever. He was like in charge. And uh, he came out the day that our foundations were poured. And I was having a conversation with him because he hadn't been out there for everything, you know, like when the plumbing got trenched and stuff, he wasn't there for that. When there were certain things that he wasn't there for, but he told me, I'm always here for the pouring of the foundation. And he just stood and he watched the, the uh, concrete contractors as they poured the foundation. You know, and, and the reason that he was out there is because the foundation is the most important part of a house. If you screw up the foundation, you build on something that crumbles away. And that's what Jesus says today. The foundation is the most important part. So there's three main points that I want us to see today in Jesus' sermon. And I'll give them to you now so you don't miss them. So the first is that true faith produces obedience. Not just hearing God's words, but doing God's words. Practicing what we preach. The second point is that storms will come. Storms will come. Even for the believer, storms will come. But building on the rock sustains us in these storms. Even though it doesn't prevent them, it sustains us in them. And then the third thing is that our inability to perfectly obey Jesus' law points us to our need for Jesus. His law is perfect and, and we can't do it. And that's the whole point. That's why God sent Jesus. So those are the three points that we're going to cover today. Uh, today's passage, it starts with a key word. If you're um, familiar with the Bible or studying any like, like written work, I suppose, uh, the key word therefore is something that you should always pay attention to, right? So it, it kind of means like in light of what was just said, therefore, because of what I just said, therefore, right? Um, so here comes Jesus to the end of his sermon, and he uses this phrase, therefore, meaning in light of all that I've spoken about in this sermon. So this therefore refers to the entire sermon. Every topic that I listed this morning, the therefore refers to that. All right, verse 24 Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. A few things that I want to point out here about this particular part of the passage. The first thing is that both hearers in the story, the wise man and the foolish man, they're, some, they're, they're members of some sort of Christian community. Both the wise and the foolish hear the message. They both hear the same message. The difference is not what they hear or even whether they respect it or whether they believe the message. The difference is whether or not they do what they hear. True Christians are differentiated by doing the words of Jesus. Ultimately, it's not, it's not our respect or our belief in Jesus' words that matter. It's, it's our obedience to them that really matters. You may have heard that like even the demons know Jesus' name right? We talked last week about uh, some false prophets. And in that passage, like there were false prophets 
who cried out to God. There were false prophets who did miracles in the name of Jesus. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. But obedience is the marker of a true Christian. So ultimately, it's not our respect, our belief in Jesus' words that matters so much as our obedience to them. We don't just want to know God's word here at Exeter Valley Church. We just don't, I don't want to just pound it over your heads. We want to be the kind of people who hear God's word and do it, right? Like every, the world is tired and full of Christians who, who aren't like this. Christians who are Christians in name, but not in practice. So our aim is not just to know the word of God as if it's some sort of intellectual activity. We want to do the word of God. The second thing that I notice in this passage is that we all build our lives on a foundation. We all build on a foundation. So the choice is not so much like to, to have a foundation or to, or to not. The choice is what type of foundation. What type of foundation will you choose? Will you choose rock or will you choose sand? We can even parallel that next to the narrow and the wide gate, right? Will you, will you walk the narrow road like building on the rock? Or will you walk the wide road? like building on the sand. Rock is firm. It holds its ground. It's not going anywhere. But sand floats away when the rains come, when the storms come. Rock is also like, it's great biblical imagery, right? Um, rock of ages, right? You've heard that phrase. The rock of my salvation. Psalm 62 uses that phrase, rock of salvation. Uh, even in the New Testament, when Jesus called Peter, to uh, establish his church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And of course, we know in that story, Peter wasn't the rock. Jesus is the rock upon which his church is built. So in this passage, the rock is the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, as displayed in the Sermon on the Mount. The next thing I want you to notice in this passage is that the Father's will is that the Son's word be heard in such a way that they're done that they are actually done. Let me say it again. The Father's will is that the Son's word be heard in such a way that it's actually done. And, and this isn't a new concept for God to want his people to actually do his law. Ezekiel thirty-three thirty-one says, My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. That was from the Old Testament. And then uh, uh, in the New Testament, we see other examples of this same idea uh, as well. Jesus' brother, James, I talked about him just a few weeks ago. He's uh, old camel knees is what they called James because he prayed so much. Jesus' brother had this to say in James 1.22, Do not merely listen to the word of my brother, right? And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just listen to it and deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Like, how easy is it for us to deceive ourselves thinking just because we show up on Sunday and hear the words or we listen to sermons on podcasts, on repeat, on the radio, whatever, just listening, just hearing isn't enough. James says we got to do what it says. We're deceiving ourselves, right? If we, if we put all our weight on the showing up part, on the hearing part, doing what it says is the important part. And that was Jesus' brother. Um, another one of Jesus' relatives, his cousin John, in 1 John 2, he says it this way, verses 4 through 6. Whoever says, I know him, Jesus, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. 
This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. See, obedience is the fruit of faith. Just like the story we saw a few weeks, or last week, sorry, about the two trees, the example that Jesus gave of two trees, one that was thorny, that looked like it had fruit, but when you got closer, you could tell, oh no, that's a thistle, that's, those aren't grapes, those are poisonous berries, right? And the healthy tree that produced really good fruit. Obedience is the fruit of faith. Remember I said last week, fruit is the produce of a healthy tree, right? That's why we call it the produce section. Fruit is the produce of a healthy tree. Works or behavior or, or obedience, they're the produce of the life of a Christian. If you are a true Christian, you are obedient to Jesus' words. Obedience is the marker of true faith. A true Christian does not just hear the words of Jesus in this sermon, they live them out. And that's our challenge today. If you build your life on the words of Jesus, making sure to do his words, not just hear them, you'll be preserved when the storms of life come. And that's the next point. Weathering the storm. Weathering the storm. See, obedience to Jesus' words, it's not protection from trouble. It's, it's a covering in trouble. It's not protection from trouble. It's protection in trouble. Jesus never promises us an easy life. We should know this, right? That just because you follow Jesus does not mean everything will go perfect for you. Yes, following Jesus is the way to life. Ultimately, that is true. But hard things will happen to you even if you give your whole life to Jesus. Hard things will happen to you. Like It should be very obvious to, to us that this is true. Why? Look at the life of Jesus. The perfect man. Did he suffer? Yes. The Bible calls him a man of many sorrows. He, he, he suffered so much, like his death on the cross, the, the thing that we remember as we come to this Easter time. So the Christian life is not a life devoid of suffering. Storms will come. In fact, that's actually a pretty prominent false prophecy. Speaking of false prophecy last week, it's, you've maybe heard it referred to as the prosperity gospel. This idea that if you give your life to Jesus, that you'll get all this material earthly blessing. Okay, And while that is sometimes true, God does pour out his blessing. He does give good gifts. He does heal and all those things that are miraculous and great. It's not always the case in our lives, right? We can look at some biblical examples. Like for, uh, for example, perhaps you've heard of Joseph, the, the coat of many colors, Joseph, right? He, uh, he, he followed the Lord so much that his brothers uh, like left him for dead and sold him into slavery. You know? And then you got the guy Job. You've heard of Job right? Uh, Satan came after Job and, and God was like, you can like, just don't touch the man himself. And Job stayed true to his faith, even in that circumstance, didn't he? I already said Jesus is an example, a biblical example of someone godly who had hard things happen to him. Shoot, Paul was beaten many times. The apostle Paul was beaten over and over and over again. Like, hey, Paul, come follow me. You know, go proclaim my good news. And what's the result? Paul gets beat and shipwrecked over and over again. Stoned and nearly to death, it says in the New Testament. Anyway, all of these guys experience hardship. Also, the Apostle John, he said this in, in, um, in chapter 16, verse 33 of his gospel. Uh, he said, in this world, there will be troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 
So hey, look, the Christian life, just because you build your house on the rock does not mean that the storms will not come. Jesus' words and our obedience towards them is not protection from troubles, rather protection in our troubles. The narrow road and the firm foundation, they don't avail us of suffering, but they do preserve us through it. <clears throat> Another thing about storms. Storms, uh, storms reveal the strength of our foundations, don't they? Uh, when uh, we got a lot of rain around Christmas time, pardon me, I, I may have shared this story before, but we had, like, we, we live on uh, some really good soil. And um, it's, like, great for agriculture and all that stuff, but it's kind of like, uh, it's a little silty, a little sandy, right? And so we had to really compact our, our house pad uh, before we could build on top of it because we wanted that strong foundation. Well, anyway, we built our pool uh, afterwards, and we, we set our pool equipment on um, a portion of ground that had not been properly compacted. So it's just like a six foot by two square. It's, it's not that big, but we got those rains at Christmas and water just rushed down underneath our pool equipment and it literally sunk the pool equipment by 12 inches. You know, I had to, I had to break up the concrete, rip it out and reset the pool equipment. Um, the storm revealed the strength or lack of strength of the foundation that my pool equipment was on, didn't it? John Calvin, uh, a great reformer, he says this. He says, true, true piety or true religion is not fully distinguished from its counterfeit till it comes to the trial. Have you heard this, uh, this phrase? I was told this as a kid growing up. Like, you, you, uh, you know what's in an orange when you squeeze it, right? Orange juice comes out of an orange when you squeeze it because that's what's inside, right? But whatever's inside is what's going to come out when you put it to the test. And so storms reveal our character. Um, and uh, they also produce character, though, right? James said that in, in chapter 1, uh, again, the brother of Jesus. He, says, uh, he said in James that we should be, we consider it pure joy when you go through troubles of any kind because trouble produces perseverance. So they reveal character. They also produce uh, character. Another thing we got to know about, about trouble and storms is that Matthew's Jesus is uh, distinctively um, more Bear Grylls than Beyonce. Matthew seems to emphasize survival over sensation, right? Um, uh, Matthew 10, 22, this is what it says. This is later. We haven't got to this part yet, but Matthew said it. You will be hated by everyone because of me. These are Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. It's not so much looking great and pretty at the end of it all. It's just standing firm to the end. Jesus was big on obedience. He was big on just make it through. Stand firm to the very end. Matthew's Jesus was more Bear grills than Beyonce. No offense, Beyonce. Okay. Notice, uh, notice in the story, the house built on the rock, when the storms came, it wasn't like the house lit up like... You know, it wasn't that it got like all fixed up like Magnolia Home, you know. Um, the, both houses are the same. The, one's not like pretty and one's not like ugly. One survived and the other did not, right? So it's not like building your life on the rock will make your house like super pretty. It just makes it that it survives, right? So here's the idea. Matthew's Jesus is more Barry Grylls than Beyonce. He emphasizes survival more than sensation. 
All right, enough examples. So you've heard Jesus in his amazing sermon, and you really want to put his teaching into practice, right? Maybe you're here today, you're like, yes, I've been with you, Noel. I heard the ways of Jesus. Like, this is awesome. I want to live like that. I want to strive to live like that. But, uh, you know, even though we try to build our house on this solid rock, if anyone's ever tried to build their house on the solid rock, like, it's not exactly as easy as it might sound, right? Has anyone really tried to live the obedient life? You don't have to raise your hands. I don't want you to out yourselves. But, you like, you know, at times we can really try hard to live a life of obedience. But, man, it is not easy. Why? Because we have a sin nature, you know? So living an obedient life, sometimes it's just like, ah, I can't do it. You know, I don't know if you ever felt that way, but if you have, it leads me to the third point, which is that Jesus is the rock upon which we build. So we got to build on the rock. Okay. Um, oh, my slide. I had a good slide of Dwayne Johnson in there. Ah, oh, dang it. Uh, anyway, um, no, not, we're not going to build on that rock, not Dwayne Johnson, not that rock. I was singing Moana after service last time, so I had to use a, a, a Dwayne Johnson uh, joke. Um, no, we're building on the rock of Jesus' life. This is the rock that we need to build our life. Jesus' ways are what the Sermon on the Mount is about. The storms are the why for Jesus' ways. But Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection are the how. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. This is how we live the life that he preached about in the Sermon on the Mount. So don't feel bad if you've heard this sermon and you feel totally overwhelmed by your inability to attain God's standards. Like, you probably should feel that way. You probably should feel that way. In fact, in Romans 7, Paul actually says that that's the point. Paul says that the point of the law, the law of Moses and the law of Jesus, is to show you your sin. The point of the law is to show you your need for Jesus. That's the whole point. The whole point of Moses' Ten Commandments and the whole point of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You need His grace in order to live this life. That's the whole point. So if you've ever thought to yourself, yeah, I want to I build my life on the rock, and you've left church on a Sunday morning determined to make it happen this week, and then found 30 minutes later that you cannot do it, there's hope for you today, right? Because of Jesus' perfect life, his death and his resurrection, we have what we need in Jesus. Not of ourselves, but in Jesus. We have his righteousness. We have his righteousness because of his perfect life, death, and resurrection. See, he obeyed the law that we could not obey. And he did, uh, I'm sorry, he died a sacrificial death in our place. He was the sacrifice. In fancy language, the Bible says he was the propitiation for our sins. That means he died the death that we should have died. That's what a sacrifice is. He gave himself up, eventually conquering death, right? And that's important too. He didn't just stay dead. He conquered death, rising to life, so that we could have what the Bible calls his imputed righteousness. That means it's a free gift. We get his righteousness. This is what we celebrate at Easter time. Because of our sin, we had put distance between ourselves and God, making it so that there is no way for you to perfectly obey the law that he demands you obey. But Jesus perfect life and his death and his resurrection. And now by faith, we have that righteousness that's his. We have it imputed to us. 
I don't know what imputed exactly means, but it, it reminds me of like Star Trek. And what were those things where you just like got beamed up? Beam me up, Scotty. It's like magic is what I'm trying to say. It's like magic, like the good kind, the Jesus kind of magic. We're not, I, I, I got off track there. We're not like one of those kind of churches. No, this is good Bible doctrine, that kind of magic that I'm talking about here. In Jesus, we're completely righteous. The Father sees us as he sees Jesus because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You couldn't obey the law, but God made a way for you to be made right with him. Now that's a firm foundation. That is a firm foundation to stand on. Amen? Yeah. The foundation that we build on is Jesus' righteousness. So if you're feeling this morning like, man, I can't get it right. I've never been able to. Well, you're in luck. Let me present to you Jesus, the only one that could ever save you. But we do see this like tension in this passage where it's like Jesus demands obedience, right? But what about grace, you know? And scholars, I think theologians for decades, centuries have been, have been debating this idea because faith alone grants us salvation, right? It's the grace of God that gives us salvation, but it's obedience that proves our faith is real. Remember, Obedience isn't the root, it's the fruit. Obedience isn't the root, it's the fruit. Obedience reveals the condition of your heart. So this tension is a bit of a holy mystery. This tension between believing and behaving. This tension between his part and our part and our response. Uh, I think a really good example that we find in the Bible is in Matthew 13. If you have your Bibles in front of you, you could turn to Matthew 13. Um, Asher, can you go tell Jake that we're like five minutes away or less? Thanks, bud. Uh, Matthew 13 is the parable of hidden treasure. So there's this farmer, we'll say. Okay, this farmer, he's in a field doing his farmer thing, and he finds a hidden treasure. This is, this is Jesus' story. This really happened in Jesus' story. So this farmer, he finds this hidden treasure, and he, like, he hides it back again. He buries it, and then he goes and sells whatever he needs to sell. And what does he do? He buys the field, Right? So this story, I think, is an incredible story about the interaction between grace and our works. Did the farmer have anything to do? Did he earn the treasure that was in that field? No, is the right answer, right? He just found it. He just happened upon it and he found it, right? But what did he have to do in order to, uh, to get that treasure? He had to take his own step of obedience, didn't he? The treasure was completely grace, like God's grace on our behalf. But his act was to sell whatever he had and purchase the field, right? So that's, I think, a great picture, a great biblical picture for this divine interaction between faith and works. <clears throat> See, the thing is that the rock, it's there. The rock is already there. Jesus has done the work. The only question is, will you build on it? That's the question before you today. Jesus has done the work. The rock is here. Will you build on it? See, Matthew's Jesus, uh, he combines trusting God and trying. God's not opposed to your effort. He's opposed to your earning. You could never earn it. But there are some steps that he's asked us to take. Not trusting is not greater than trying. Okay? 
There's a combination in Ma- we see in Matthew's Jesus, this combination of trusting and trying. And it reminded me of this quote from G.K. Chesterton, an old contemporary of C.S. Lewis. He says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. I'm inviting you this morning to give it a try. Having heard these words of Jesus, who's in for building on them? You could nod, you could smile. Who's in, right? Who's in for building on the solid rock? Who's in for building on the perfect life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus? This morning, uh, in response to these words, as we seek to be not just hearers, but doers of God's word, we're going to stand to worship him in song. And Jake's going to come forward and, and play another couple songs. This morning, the table is open. The Lord's table is open. Uh, search your heart as we sing. And then come to the table. You can uh, grab and uh, dip into the grape juice and remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. Remember Jesus Christ, the solid rock. He paid the ultimate price so that we could live the life of obedience that we could not live without him. This is good news, yes? All right, let's stand to our feet. Let's respond in worship.